you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, would you turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 2? Now, nothing is known about Habakkuk, I don't think. I haven't found it. And enough of the comment. The commentators have said nothing's known about Habakkuk for me to really stop looking at this point outside of what we have in Scripture from Habakkuk here in these three chapters. Chapter 2 is what we're looking at this morning together. This is the 35th book of the Old Testament, and that is the extent of what we know about Habakkuk. So let's review a little bit chapter 1 together, which we looked into last week. Habakkuk is, is in a strong sense questioning God. But as, as we said last week, this is not um, uncommon about um, the stories that uh, make up our scripture. The characters are sometimes, oftentimes, comfortable enough uh, with God to question their present circumstances. We looked at actually from uh, the Gospel of John last week, the story of Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus died and and Martha came strong (laughs) to Jesus as he happened upon them four days after Lazarus' death. And she said, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died this this questioning of the circumstances. People question God. People doubt. It's a necessary component of our faith. And as the late Fred Beekner once wrote, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep faith awake and moving. At first, Habakkuk takes his frustration to God in the form of a lament. This was in verses 2 through 4 in chapter 1 that we looked at last week. He's frustrated about the success. He's frustrated by the prosperity of the wicked, the no good, awful Chaldeans, Babylonians. And God's response in verses 5 through 11 is not terribly comforting to Habakkuk because God informs Habakkuk that the Chaldeans are being raised up to punish Habakkuk and Habakkuk's people for their disobedience. And listen, obviously, those of you who know um, about the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, um, you know that King Nebuchadnezzar was part of their fold. He led them for a long time. And, and, and uh, I, don't, I don't know Nebuchadnezzar, just what's written about him or any of the other power brokers that were in this no good, awful group of people. But Nebuchadnezzar showed us in the book of Daniel, as you might know, that, well, he's given to expediency. When it became clear that Daniel's God, our God, had great power and was, Nebuchadnezzar was drawn to the appeal of that power, but probably because he wanted that power. Because powerful people want one thing, more power. Empires want one thing, more power. Now, a little bit later in worship, we are going to, uh, we're going to welcome and institute, pray over uh, new deacons, welcome them to our deacon fold. And as we gathered yesterday, um, and, and for our regular deacons meeting, uh, those new folks joined us, and we, we talked. Gary Woodard, our deacon chair, he talked about uh, what it's like to, to be a deacon. And in that conversation about deaconship, in that conversation that would include any conversation about any servants in the church, the word power did not enter that conversation one bit. This is an office in the church that is derived directly from Jesus' words in Mark 10, or Luke's words in Acts chapter 6, as we'll look at later. And it is entirely about servanthood, as is any particular part of the church that we work within. And so Habakkuk, knowing this even before Christ about what God is like, he, he was not enthused 
that God was using these power brokers to reprimand God's people. So Habakkuk's rebuttal or his further questioning, it it loops the Chaldeans' corruption into this complaint. This is verse 17 in chapter 1. He asked, will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter the nations without mercy? Will they continually slaughter the nations without mercy? And so here we are at the beginning of chapter 2. And God responds again, but not before verse 1, where Habakkuk expresses his willingness to wait on the Lord's answer and ultimately wait on God's promises. And those of you who've been around here a while know that I love to preach on patience. Patience is so important. And Habakkuk this is one of the examples in Scripture where God's, God's person here identifies uh, or, or, or reveals patience in his own life. Look at verse 1. It says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. And then Habakkuk reveals to us God's second answer. The Lord answered me. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on on tablets so so one may easily read it. For the vision is is yet for the appointed time. It, It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it. Since it will certainly come and and, and actually not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He's without integrity. But the righteous one, the righteous one will live by faith. Will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol and like death. He is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He he collects all the peoples for himself. May God add God's blessing to the reading of his word. Here's the deal, church. Even though it seems as if the Lord is tarrying. Some of you will be familiar with that word. uh, uh, Dragging his feet. It's tough to wait, though, isn't it? You know, I was thinking this week, I remember waiting. I don't know if Leslie Ann will remember this, but I remember waiting in the waiting room for a long time before Howell was born. This was our, our first, our oldest. And it was, gonna, it was the first doctor's appointment that I, I went to. I went to a lot of doctor's appointments with Leslie Ann when Howell was, was about to be born. Not so much when Hattie was about to be born, but it's funny how that changed. Um, and we saw somebody we knew in the waiting room. You remember that? And we were forced to explain ourselves what was going on. A lot can happen while you're waiting. I remember waiting a long time for news about why there was no heartbeat in that second pregnancy of Leslie Ann's. Waiting can be very hard. But here is God's word for Habakkuk. The great power of the Chaldeans will in the end nothing the nations they try in vain to fill the earth with their fame and with their power but but this is futile why is it futile well it's because of verse 14 a little later on in chapter 2 verse 14 says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover 
the sea. No empire can fill the earth with anything, ultimately. Habakkuk need not fear that a rebellious nation will will have the last say because the earth is the Lord's and, and he will fill it with his glory. The chapter closes with, with these awesome words in verse 20. Look down at verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let all the nations be still and, and know that he is God. His glory will fill the earth, not the glory of the Chaldeans. So in, an, in answer to Habakkuk's protests, God assures him that the pride of the Chaldeans will come to a woeful end. This is, the, this is what verses 6 through 20 ultimately teach us in chapter 2. And that in the end, Judah, all of those in Judah who humbly trust God will gain will live, will be vindicated. The just, verse 4 says, the righteous shall live by his faith. Those who are committed to God, those, those of us who, as we talk about often in here, those of us who follow and are being formed by Jesus, those of us committed to him, we're in our Bible studies, even when we're crammed into every office we can find because it's, so cold in half the building. Those of us who, who commit to, to quiet time daily or almost daily. Trying to live in a manner, those of us who, who are trying to live in a manner that glorifies God. Those of us like that will be cared for by God. We will be looked after. We will be sustained. The righteous shall live by his faith. We sat around the circle yesterday in that room, the deacons and the new deacons, and we listened to stories from our new deacons. Powerful stories about from where they have come. And one particular gentleman talked about um, at this point in his life, everything boiling down for him to God's grace in our lives. I remember Fred Craddock once talking about us preachers really having only one sermon. And that sermon better be about God's grace. We're over here. <laughs> sitting in Bellevue this morning. Christians and non-Christians alike. Probably mostly Christians in this room. If, you're, if you don't follow, if you're not being formed by Jesus already, man, I'd like to talk to you. But... but 2022, here we are. And there are those of us who are, who are over here. And, and those of us over here, maybe we're apart from Christ. And, and, and as this story is telling, the Chaldeans are, are, are bearing down on us. As chapter 1 said, they're, they're building ramps with the earth up to our, our walls. And they're riding their horses right over our wall. Sieging us, a siege that will not be withstood. And then there are those of us over here who are following and being formed by Jesus. And you know what? The Chaldeans are bearing down on us too. 
And they're building ramps with the earth right up to the edge of our walls. And they're riding horses over our walls as well. And it's a siege that will not be withstood. At least not in the short term. But God's grace is that the siege is not the end of the story. And we can have faith to live. The righteous one will live by his faith. Church, I have sat with you for four years now. Nearly four years. And I have heard your stories of faith. And they are, story, they are the very stories that I want my children, our children to hear and understand most. You get the news from the doctor that the surgery, you know what? It's not going to be today. It's not even going to be this week. It has to wait. There are people ahead of you and you're anxious and you really want to get on with it. You know what your response is, church? Time and time again, and I'm not just puffing you up. This is what you say. You say, God is good. And maybe you say it to me because I'm the preacher and you think that's what I want to hear. But I think you're saying it to each other as well. God is good. I'm going to be fine. And you know, the scans, the scans come back sometimes. And they have over the last few years. And oftentimes they reveal that cancer is there. And then you get a plan together and this is how we're going to treat it. And the doctors come in and they tell you the plan and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And you, and you let it go and you say, okay, doctors, nurses, let's, let's do this. But the spiritual treatment is just as important. And time and time again, in the face of difficult medical diagnoses, I have heard you say, church, God is good and I'm going to be fine. This is what the righteous living by faith looks like. Moreover, I've heard, I've heard our stories and they might be my story someday. I hope not, but I've heard our stories about our children not sticking in church like we want them to. It's not all of our children, but it's becoming more and more. I read what's breaking your heart from two weeks ago. That was on several of your cards. Our children, our friends, people just, people are doing other things. The, the, the busyness of life, the, the meaning might not be there. I sat in a roundtable discussion recently led by a pastor and author and professor, Ryan Burge, who has done a ton of research on the trends in the past 80 years of the American church. And yes, the stats show that many of our kids are falling away from church attendance. There are a lot of reasons for this. One of which is not, interestingly, as research reveals, not the more education one has, the more likely they are to not be in church. That's not true. Don't believe that. His research reveals otherwise. Anyway, there are a host of reasons for this. We have to address these reasons. And I hear your stories lamenting this. But you know what? I don't hear your reasons as 
I want our kids to, to remain in church because I want them to have all the benefits that come with being in a church as if belonging to a church is the equivalent of being able to sit at the cool table in the school cafeteria or, or, or to be a part of the right country club or whatever that might look like. It has nothing to do with that for you. And I submit that deep down, I really don't believe it has anything to do. I've gotten to know you. I don't believe it really has anything to do with you wanting our friends or our children to, to have this cosmic get out of jail free card that we're ultimately worried about where we're going after we die. Certainly that's part of it. And I want you to be with where I believe I'm going to be with Christ. As Paul said, it was better to be with Christ than to not be, but no deep down. I believe that you want our children, our friends, and really everybody else in the world to have a testimony that sustains us precisely when suffering comes. That's what it's about. And suffering will come. And when it does, will we be able to say, God is good. We will be fine. That is what the righteous living by faith looks like. Paul understood this. Paul understood this, so he used Habakkuk's words as often as he could when he was trying to encourage the early church. Look at Galatians 2, 15 and 16. It'll be on the screen. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law... No human being will be justified. In chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says, Now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law. He just keeps making his argument here because the righteous will live by faith. Romans 1.17 For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Church, this is one of the most primary questions we are to be asking and answering among ourselves. And so we gathered in our groups this morning in every nook and cranny of the building that we could find to ask among ourselves to consider this very question. What does it look like when the righteous live by faith? Although the world may not know how to answer this yet, it is so important. I would say imperative for us, the church, to answer that question with an abundance of clarity. Precisely in how we live our lives. Let's pray together.